This is the Bowery Boys, episode five, Blackout. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Bowery Boys. Episode number five, as a matter of fact. This is Greg Young, and I have to say welcome back to my co-Bowery Boy, Tom Myers. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be back. So last week, I was actually back in Ohio uh, with family and listened to your fantastic podcast on the dogs. Very nice job. Thank you. Um, You bring up Ohio, which is kind of interesting because... um, 2003, there was a blackout um, that started in Ohio, (laughs) technically, I guess. And and ironically, I was also in Ohio, if you'll recall, the the same time, the the blackout hit, uh, and I called you here in New York, and you were looking for an ATM. Exactly. I had no no money, you know, wandering home from, from work, thousands of people in the streets, Thousands of people lined up, you know, trying to call on the on payphones because their cell phones didn't work. And everybody else in America watching the TV coverage of what you New Yorkers were doing. Exactly, and it looked th- like a party. Well, you know, around the East Village, there was a little bit of a party at night. But when it's amazing to look back at that situation, it was pretty. It was pretty gross. I cannot imagine what it would have been like thirty years ago. Right. On July 13th, the New York blackout, like the major blackout. The biggie. Yes. Right. That people still talk about today when they talk about the New York City blackout. It's usually of 77. Correct. When New York basically just sort of like broke down completely. Right. And it's important to note that there had been a blackout before this in 1965 uh, that was a little bit different than, of course, the 77 blackout. It started, it was actually like the Northeast, all of the Northeast was actually out of power. It started, yeah, 1965, um, November 9th, actually, so it was like kind of normal fall weather. Cool. And uh, the city was out of power for like, you know, 12 to 14 hours. It's actually called in what's known as the good blackout because... It brought the community together, neighbors helping neighbors. There were there were a lot of crime, and as things would happen later, in perspective, you know, it was actually the city got off easy. As a matter of fact, most people know about the blackout um, from kind of like crazy urban legends that came out later. You know, this was the mid '60s, and so everyone thought it was started by a UFO. As a matter of fact, the New York Times even kind of like reported on this, perhaps in jest. Life magazine even had it on the cover. But, of course, that hasn't really been proven. Or disproven. Oh. But uh, aliens aside, let's focus on the blackout of 77. Yes. And, you know, I think to, in order to get sort of in the mood, if you could set the stage, set the scene, and take us back to the summer of 77, what the city was like. Sure thing. In July 1977, uh, the song you're hearing right now, Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston, was still a really big hit. Uh, Disco was becoming really mainstream. The song was really big on the charts. As for New York itself, New York was basically bankrupt. Uh, The mayor, Abraham Beam, partially 
to blame for this, actually, mm. uh, petitioned the president two years earlier to, Ford. to help them out. And there's a famous New York Daily News headline that says, President Ford to city, drop dead. Right. So basically, New York was a pretty hopeless place. We're still bitter about that. On the positive side, the Yankees in July 1977 were on their way to win the pennant. Thanks to the wacky group of players and managers and owners called the Bronx Zoo, a collection of uh, raucous, insane personalities such as George Steinbrenner, uh, Billy Martin, crazy, insane manager, uh, these catty contract disputes between Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson. So New Yorkers were p- placing a lot of hopes on there. Of course, you had in the movie theaters, Star Wars was you know, playing on virtually every theater. It was changing how we watch movies. It was in all the movie theaters. In New York City on July 1977. Disco was mainstreaming. CBGB's was rising. Sooty 54 had only been open for three months. And of course, on top of all of this, there was a mad serial killer running around. The son of Sam, David Berkowitz, who had terrorized New Yorkers. He killed six people and wounded seven people. He was It was such a pervasive horror that women were actually... Brunettes were dyeing themselves blonde, and and he was what he was a postal employee that was up in the Bronx, I believe, and he he had gone postal. <laughs> He's the first original person who had gone postal, right? Correct. So just to set the scene a little bit, so imagine all this happening around you, and then all of a sudden here comes and it's really hot, and it's really, extremely really hot. extremely hot. So, do you know how the blackout of 1977 actually happened? Technically speaking? Yes, technically speaking. Well, as a matter of fact, Greg, I did do a little research. Surprise. (laughs) Just to look into, you know, how something like this happens. How does a city actually lose all of its electricity? And big surprise, it turns out that it's a really complicated situation. (laughs) Uh, Con Edison, which controls the city's electricity, still does today, uh, you know, it buys some of its electricity uh, from upstate New York, from other states. You know, it buys electricity that for cheaper than it can make it itself sometimes, especially if they have surplus electricity to buy. So let's just say that this night in July of 1977, Con Ed was importing electricity from other sources. Mm-hmm. Got it? Now, something amazing happened that night. Not one not two, but three bolts of lightning struck power supplies to the city within the course of like an hour. God was really angry that evening, I guess. Well, yeah, Con Ed's chairman actually would later call it, you know, acts of God. He would blame it on God, I guess. (laughs) But if we just can wind our way through very quickly the chronology at 8.37 p.m., there was the first lightning bolt uh, up the Hudson River, which tripped two different breakers in Westchester, uh, a second bolt of lightning knocked out two transmission lines in 8.55. So like 15 minutes later, a third strike knocked out two more transmission lines. I mean, what are the chances That's of that? That's pretty incredible. You know? It's like dominoes. Yeah. By 9.15, uh, Con Ed was trying to reduce its power load and trying to get rid of you know some of their load to lighten it up. Mm-hmm. But at 9.19, there was a thermal overload um, on a connection from upstate 929 New Jersey's connection I don't know tripped what a, out. I don't know what a thermal overload is, but I assume it's something really bad. Sounds warm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 929. So New Jersey bites the dust. Upstate's electricity bites the dust. And at 929, Con Ed's biggest generator, which is called Big Alice, uh, shut down and out with it went New York City's electricity. By 936, all of Con Ed in this whole area was down and the city was black. Uh, 
at 10.36, so about an hour later, they were, st- they were starting to restore some of the power, but the power would not really be restored for most of New York until late the next day. So over 24 hours went by. Wow. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. So that was basically how it started, which most people don't know. A lot of people are a lot more familiar with some of the effects. Right. So like the the, the rioting and things, where did it happen? Was it all throughout the city? Right. Well, I mean, that is, you know, the, the serious side to this story that people tend to focus on, of course, is the looting that took place uh, because it really did turn into kind of a free-for-all. Um, mm. it, it, it was com- contained mostly in certain districts. Uh, most notably, the hardest-hit areas were up in Crown Heights, Bushwick, um, Bedford-Stuyvesant, sections of Brooklyn and, and Harlem, uh, where there were lots of fires. It was kind of a... I mean, the different accounts that we've been reading, you know, in, in Time magazine and the Newsweek coverage that came out a week after uh, the uh, the blackout in 77 really described the the looting in the streets almost with a sort of Christmas-time shopping spree atmosphere... <laughs> Um, An evil shopping spree, right? Yeah, well, in that it was illegal. Right. Um, and, and people were setting fire to stores and taking anything pretty much indiscriminately. Some of the papers and stuff that you have in front of me, I just found this really interesting anecdote. I mean, so the, so people were just sort of looting all over the place. The cops were sort of ineffective. I, I, found, I just want to read this. This is from the New York Daily News. One looter bolted from a pet store with a bowl full of goldfish. He dropped to the sidewalk in his hurry to escape. A cop began to give chase, but stopped, his conscience apparently not allowing him just to leave the goldfish flopping around. The cop filled a hubcap with hydrant water and began to rescue one fish after another. He then paused amidst the chaos, pondering what to do with them. He finally set the hubcap by a stoop and left the little fish to do their best in an inch of water as he strode off to flush more looters from the stores. So, I mean, there was so much chaos going on, like, you didn't even know what to do. Let's just save some fish. I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, I think chaos is the correct word here because, I mean, to put it in perspective, of course, this started, if you think, at 9.30 p.m. The lights didn't come on for at least another 24 hours. The looting actually continued through the next day, you know, through the afternoon until people finally tuckered out. Uh, But in all, I mean, from the reports that we've seen here, 1,616 stores were damaged, 1,037 fires were responded to. Um, Incredibly, uh, New York had its largest mass arrests in city history, uh, with 3,776 people 
being arrested. Wow, it's crazy. And where do you put them? You know, and so incredibly, the city reopened uh, the infamous tombs, the uh, the prisons underneath City Hall that had been closed by court order uh-huh. uh, a couple years before that. And they were they were putting people, sometimes ten people, in a cell that was designed for one person underneath uh, City Hall, basically, yeah. just as like I mean, just, as a holding place. Nothing to do yeah. with them. Wow. And I can imagine that that was probably a pretty creepy place uh, without electricity. Without- <laughs> <laughs> but while all that was going on, I mean, there was a city trying to function, or, or I guess rather not function. Well, like this. any other night in July, yeah. You can imagine there were all these people up at Shea Stadium. That's, and the Mets were playing the Cubs. The Mets were probably were losing, so maybe they thought the blackout was a good thing. Uh, and when the blackout happened, uh, they had to get everyone out of the stadium. The organist... How far was it in the game? It was actually at the, uh, the end of the sixth inning, so oh. extremely long... Seventh-ending stretch. Anyway, the organist, Jane Jarvis, who's actually infamous among Mets fans. And a famous jazz pianist of her own. She got people out of the stadium by playing Christmas tunes, actually, just to keep them cool. Uh, Well, you can imagine being in Chase Stadium and having the lights go off and trying to find the doors. And speaking of famous yes. women, I mean, at the same time, we had Elaine. Now, imagine the diners. Elaine, uh, up at her Upper East Side uh, restaurant, well, for a who's who crowd, she threw a little street party and was reportedly pouring champagne for the likes of Andy Warhol and Calvin Klein. Well, you know, where were the famous people during the blackout? There they were, I guess. They wanted to be with Elaine and some champers. Oh, right. um, and meanwhile, diners at the four-year-old uh, Windows on the World restaurant at the top of the Twin Towers uh, were stuck up there, um, and they finished their dinners, and they were able to actually go down in big groups in the freight elevators that were run by generators in the kitchen. I thought that was interesting. Weird. That's weird. I mean, well, something was running because the subways weren't running. No. I mean, I don't know what, like how all these people got got to where they needed to go. Were people stuck in the subways? They weren't. Well... Actually, most of the subway trains had been... There was, I guess, a very quick-witted worker who got everything, all the trains in in time. But there were still a few trains under the earth. There were about 1,000 people trapped under the earth. And so firefighters had to just go uh, get them and rescue them. It took several hours. If you can just imagine being in the subway, let's remind you once again, it's really hot. Um, Mm. So on top of that, and then you have all the traffic of all the the cabs and the cars and the trucks, and there are no stoplights. Right. 10,000 stoplights out of commission. And so... And there's no gas pumps, because the gas pumps are electric. Right. And so, I mean, just chaos, and it must smell, and it's so hot out. And again, back to these reports in Time and Newsweek, all these reports of, um, of regular New Yorkers who just decided to direct traffic at the intersections. And... Then what about the tourists? I mean, if the tourists were stuck in, in, from these accounts in the streets and also seeking refuge in the hotel lobbies, a lot of people coming down from their hotel rooms to the lobbies because they didn't know what was going on and they wanted to be around other people. And well, they are in New York in a historic moment. I guess they wrote home about it. <laughs> well, pity the poor people who actually were at Coney Island at that moment at the top of the Ferris wheel, <laughs> oh, 100, no. 150 no. feet in the air, and one cart full of people had... Well, they had the unfortunate luck of being stuck at the top when the power went out. That's like my nightmare, total nightmare. Right there? Yeah. Well, it was a team of policemen and passersby uh, who actually hand-cranked them down, pulling (laughs) pulling the wonder wheel uh, around until the people could get back down to the ground. That could have been kind of fun, but... Could have been. (laughs) 
Oh, and let's not so, forget stage and screen. Oh, of course. Well, unbelievably, filming in New York on that date right. in the blackout over on 42nd Street on the, in the Daily News building, Superman the Movie. Uh, the so original. Th- the, the original with uh, Christopher Reeve uh, as Clark Kent. I'm, I'm assuming they're filming Daily Planet. As a matter of fact, uh, an anecdote later, the cinematographer had actually thought that he had caused the blackout. I guess not really the scope of it. Right. Because he had plugged a spotlight into like a street lamp and then the lights went out. So... <laughs> The, the stage, Broadway, basically went black, but I mean, how did that... Well, there were thousands yeah. of people in Broadway theaters, and of course it was 9.35, let's say, so they were, well, what, back from the cocktails at intermission, and, you know, the cast of O Calcutta, which was this sort of X-rated review... Where the naughty was, one, yes. Right, the naughty one. Everyone was naked on stage, and all of a sudden, well, there they were in the dark without any clothes. From these reports, again, they had to borrow, and I don't really understand this, they were borrowing <laughs> clothes from the audience because they couldn't grope their way back to their dressing rooms. Like from like people's shoulders? Like did someone have like luggage or something? Like how did they like, I, borrow I, clothes? I don't know. Well, they had I mean, an extra you know. dress? I guess that when the lights go out, you don't want to be naked standing in front of like <laughs> 1,500 people. Well, why not? People. No one can see you, so... Um, anyway, so what? But there. Are, I mean, what about the other stages? I mean, there's like huge shows going on. All yeah, over the place. I mean, this is actually people with see, clothes. From Time magazine. They said Tom Courtney continued in otherwise engaged by flashing uh, by flashlight with an actor shouting "Bring" when a telephone was supposed to be ringing. You know, little fun anecdotes <laughs> like this. There was a packed house at uh, at Radio City, and they didn't really know what to do, so they just stayed there. And they actually opened up the side door and wheeled in an Italian ice uh, cart. And people in the audience just started eating ices. See, me, if it wouldn't be so completely ter- terrifying, it might be kind of fun. Well, unless you were at the hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, you're right. That wouldn't be fun. No. And people were, of course, giving birth at this point. Um, there's another account right, of right. a professor who was demonstrating how to t- perform a cesarean um, when oh. the lights went out. And, you know, babies were born, uh, generators didn't kick in right away, you know, so mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a moment there where there was no electricity in the hospitals. There are accounts of nurses and doctors who were actually pumping respirators by hand. And then keep in mind, I mean, we've got a lot more injured because of, you know, the looting and all the crime that's now happening because of the blackout. Right. So... How do we wrap this up then? Uh, where do we t- how do we turn on the lights, if you will? There was this really just telling quote. Says, yeah, New York City was a slimy, dirty, loud, smelly, obnoxious place with potential violence lurking everywhere. But that was the city in 1977. I guess that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, get some more information, I guess the pivotal place to start is the book called The Bronx is Burning by Jonathan Mahler. If you don't know how to read or don't want to sit with the book, there's actually a a mini-series right now on ESPN, I believe just the first part has started, that you can uh, watch. It summarizes the whole thing. If you just want to do a little two-hour movie on your Netflix this weekend, a little blackout for your home, uh, there's always The Summer of Sam, the Spike Lee movie starring Adrian Brody. It kind of summarizes all the crazy stuff that happened in 1977 during the summer. And we'll also have some additional resources at our website, BoweryBoysPodcast.com. In addition to some of the stuff you've heard today, we have 
it's updated daily with all sorts of interesting New York tidbit trivial news items. It's a blog. It, as as a blog would it. be, exactly. This week, for instance, you can find out uh, what the fate of the Domino Sugar Factory may be. You can also find out uh, where Louis Armstrong's house is. You've been actually updating it every single day. I'm, I've been most impressed. Yeah, we've got a lot of info on there, so check it out. Uh, that's it for this podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed yourself. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. And have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. Have a good week. <laughs>